Welcome to QTalks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. I'm Shreya. And I'm Tella. And we're your hosts for QTalks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not so typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. I want to give a very warm welcome to Tele, who is the new co-host of QTalks. Hi, I'm Tele. I'm a second year at the University of Cambridge and I'm studying natural sciences, so that's biology and chemistry. And when I'm not doing that, you can find me on the football pitch or mediocrely playing the guitar. And I'm really, really interested in the biotech industry. Fantastic. It's great to have you with us, Tele. This week on QTalks, we're talking to Christopher Kong, co-founder and head of business development at Better Nature, a tempeh-focused, plant-based food tech company. Chris holds a master's degree in biochemistry from the University of Oxford, and we're really excited to hear about his story and Better Nature. Hi, Chris. Thanks for coming on the show with us. Yeah, no worries. Great. To start off, could you give us um, a bit of your personal background and how you know, the story behind the formation of Better Nature. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, no, thank you so much for having me here. Um, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm Chris. I'm one of the co-founders and a head of business development at Better Nature. And a little bit about me, I grew up in Hong Kong. I lived there till I was 13. Uh, then after that, came to the UK for school. Uh, had the, had the, you know, the privilege to study at the University of Oxford. Uh, where I did my master's in biochemistry. And yeah, I guess prior to grad- uh, prior to joining even um, Oxford, I had this idea that I wanted to do a PhD. And I had this idea that I think you know, doing a PhD was perhaps the best way to work in some really exciting science, uh, to be able to have an impact. And that was really what I was all about, to give back uh, to society because uh, I've benefited so greatly from it. Um, by, by no virtue of my own, but just by being born into the circumstances that I am in. Um, but yeah, I guess at university, I realized, you know, doing, doing biochemistry, though the course material was amazing, doing the science was actually quite hard and I didn't find it all that fulfilling. So instead I pivoted into uh, learning as much as I possibly could about the business world to see if I could leverage my background in the sciences with perhaps the needs and the wants of society and be able to bridge that gap uh, through through the lens of developing a business. And that was when I was introduced into the world of consulting. So I was fortunate enough to be selected uh, to intern at McKinsey uh, in the summer of 2017 and was offered a full-time role to join. But in my final year of uni, I participated in a conference called the Gap Summit, which uh, was actually in the year 2018 hosted at Cambridge. It was my first time at Cambridge, so it was beautiful to, to visit the campus. And it was there that I met my now co-founder, or one of my now co-founders, Amadeus. And um, I guess how we met and, and how we started Bed Nature was that as part of this conference, we were grouped up into teams of five. About two months before the physical conference started, we were from all over the world. We we're 100 delegates from all over the place. In fact, I was the only person from Oxford and Amadeus at the time was studying in the US. And in these teams of five, we were told to come up with a business idea. 
And, you know, Amadeus uh, studying, uh, as he was studying tempeh fermentation at that time, uh, he sort of introduced me into the world of food tech, into uh, fermentation, and I was blown away as, as it held such amazing promise as a solution to so many of the world's current problems, which we can certainly talk about later. And yeah, that was, uh, we, we came up with the very, very early um, idea of Better Nature then, um, which at the time wasn't even called Better Nature. In fact, it was called Tempezi. We pitched in front of the audience uh, of the 20 teams that participated. We were fortunate enough to win. And that was where um, Better Nature started. Wow, what a great story. And it's really it's a really interesting story to hear from somebody who's come from one of the top universities, um, thought about going into the corporate um, corporate lifestyle with McKinsey um, and then choosing to uh, take the startup path. So I think, think that's something that we'll really dig into because I think a lot of our listeners will find that very interesting and inspirational as something that they want to do themselves. Um, and also, I wanted to say that I love tempeh. So um, if we were recording this in person, I certainly would have um, organized us a little snacks. Um, but I think we can we can have a chat about that a bit later as well. So may, maybe just to touch on the point about um, coming from university, and you said that you were looking into the, um, the business world and how you could get involved. What are some of your top tips for people who are in a similar position who want to make the most out of their time at university? Yeah, um, loads, <laughs> loads of tips. I mean, I think number one, really do make sure you keep as active as possible at uni. Um, yeah, I was I was quite active, involved not just in you know, societies and stuff, but uh, in sports. It, it, it's just such an amazing time and I think having graduated, I do look back um, with, with great fondness of my time. But yeah, to answer your question, I guess, more directly, university is such an amazing time to really try out everything. And going into university, I didn't really know I wanted, what I wanted to do. I thought the PhD was the way. Turns out that it wasn't something for me, though it may be something for, for you. So do try and, and immerse yourself in the academic side of things because that can, you know, uh, that can lead to a life of great fulfillment. Um, but yeah, just try out loads of things and really just throw yourself out there. So I was involved with, for example, like the Alternatives uh, Investment Society, where I learned all about like, you know, value investing, which was cool. But again, not for me. I sort of dabbled in finance. I joined all sorts of different finance societies thinking that that was the way to, you know, it turns out there wasn't. And it was only when I sort of spoke to friends, attended sort of, you know, um, careers fairs and loads of careers events that I found that consulting perhaps ticked some of the boxes that I wanted uh, ticks, you know, such as problem solving, working on all sorts of different really cool projects uh, in, 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 in sort of two to three month commitments at a time. I thought that was a really cool, cool lifestyle, a really cool uh, career choice. Uh, but again, you know, digging into it, decided that perhaps it wasn't for me. Perhaps there was something else out there. So, yeah, my top tip would be to just really apply yourself and, uh, yeah, just, just put yourself out there and be really open-minded because you never know where one thing, uh, how one thing could sort of lead on to the next. There's so much serendipity involved, really, um, in discovering 
without sounding too grandiose about it, I guess your life's passion. And just to touch on, so, you know, you say at first you thought the PhD was the way, um, but, you know, you were looking for other ways to um, impact the world. Have you found that your background in biochemistry has, you know, been a significant plus in founding, you know, food tech startup, something that's very, you know, to some extent science heavy? Oh, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think having studied biochemistry, it gives me, I guess, perhaps not the same authority that a PhD would, but some authority to be able to talk to investors, customers, any partner that we're sort of engaged with um, about tempeh fermentation, about the work that we do with a little bit more authority. Um, and I think that's really important, especially if you're a first-time founder, if you're straight out of university, it's all about trying to build credibility, right? Credibility with your investors, credibility with retailers, credibility with you know your friends and family, so that they don't think that you're doing something you know stupid. Um, so so yeah, I think that background of biochemistry did give me that credibility. It gave me that authority. It, but I think more importantly, allowed me to truly understand where the science could go, what was involved in the science. And that obviously had a tremendous strategic impact in the way I think about the business today. So um, I, I think for, for early stage founders looking to go into something that's quite technical, having a co-founder, um, if you yourself are the technical guy, having a co-founder who has some technical exposure uh, but obviously it has a complementary skill set that's able to fill up fill gaps in your own knowledge is is really key but i mean i think honestly speaking not absolutely essential fantastic so one one thing that i'm particularly interested in is i think the story sounds great and in hindsight it all sounds like it it all fits together quite nicely um and i i'm interested that you so you mentioned you you met your co-founder at the at gap summit um and did your pitch you won which is fantastic um and from there how what were the day-to-day -day things that you did in order to take better nature forwards because i think it's quite easy to skip from that point to and here we are today um so what does that actually look like <laughs> i think it's easier to actually answer what that doesn't look like and what it does um what does it look like i think the first thing i did was um beyond you know outside of say the admin of incorporating the business etc cetera, etc cetera, which is you know really straightforward was build a team so building and, and your team at the very early stages is everything uh it, it is what will unlock obviously tremendous value in your business and it is what will attract investment if you require investment in your business to take it to the next stage um so the first thing i did was set out to build a team and and this was i guess kind of after i had a really good understanding of the problem uh i, I think some people sometimes rush into the solution before they have a complete grasp of the problem if you know the problem inside and out, the solution actually becomes really, really straightforward. So um, I spent a lot of time thinking about a problem, 
And once I thought I had a very strong understanding of the problem, and, and uh, you know, by think about the problem, I don't mean sitting down, doing research in Google, et cetera, et cetera. I meant going out, speaking to consumers, getting their feedback, uh, creating a prototype. If that is what, is that something you can do, getting people's feedback on that prototype. Uh, that, that is what I mean by understanding the problem, because <laughs> uh, when we first started, we actually came up with a crisp. Uh, we thought that a crisp was the best way to educate the market about tempeh, but we, I guess we kind of lost track of, of the purpose. We kind of lost track of what, what we were trying to build. We weren't trying to build a crisp business. We were trying to create a, you know, trying to create a business that made it easier for people to adopt the plant-based diet to reduce the impact on the environment. So that's a sort of a long way of saying, um, make sure that you really understand the problem and, and the solution become clear. And once you have a really clear understanding of the problem, uh, we then set out to build a team, you know, to find people that were able to add something to the venture that myself and Amadeus couldn't uh, and, and could never. I, but I, I guess there's a caveat to this. Um, yes, you need a great team. And yes, you should set out to build a great team as soon as possible. But also don't be afraid to tackle some of the, uh, to create you know, to, to, to sort of sit in that role for a little bit longer than is comfortable because until you've you know sat in that role for long enough you don't actually understand you don't, you won't you won't have a clear understanding as to what is required of a person in that role so for example in the very early days you know ando was our graphics designer as well um and he uh, i did everything else he did the science and graphic design. I did everything else. Uh, but it was only then that I truly understood, okay, what am I looking for in someone who's head of sales? Okay, we need someone in product. What am I looking for as someone in developing a product? So, so yeah, understand the problem, then build, building that team was, yeah, the first two things that we did. Wonderful. And speaking of your products, so, you know, for those of our listeners who perhaps aren't as familiar with Temper, can you just give a really quick description of, you know, what is temper? You know, what does it taste like? How's it normally eaten? Where's it from? Yes, absolutely. So tempeh is uh, a food product that originated in Indonesia about 300 years ago. So it's this ancient food product um, that is incredibly high in protein, high in fiber, low in fats and saturated fats. And it's made using this process known as tempeh fermentation, uh, which is, you know, for those um, perhaps are more technically minded, is a solid state fermentation process driven um, by fun basically a fungal fermentation, a solid state fungal fermentation. And essentially what happens during this fermentation process is that, um, you know, tempeh is primarily made using beans or any and it can be really made out of any bean nut legume grain but to to make it simple tempeh is traditionally made using soybeans and that's the basis of of all of our products or most of our products today so uh, you start off with your soybeans you cook them uh and, and and once it's cooked you then inoculate them with the the with the starter culture which is the agent that drives the fermentation during the fermentation process, essentially what happens is that these fungal spores, uh, they sporulate, they produce this mycelium, kind of like a marriage between a mushroom and these beans, and it wraps these beans together in a matrix that is made of pure protein, 
and gives it a naturally meaty texture, all the while increasing its protein content and reducing it, it, its fat content. So you, what you end up with is, um, what you start off with is very simple. You, what you start off with is your soybeans. And what you end up with is a high-value meat alternative that's able to take on flavor really easily, that's incredibly nutritious. So tempeh, for example, has double the protein content as smoked cod, double the, context, um, double the protein content as eggs, yet uh, has a super low fat content and super low carbohydrate content. And that ingredient, that tempeh base, can then be um, introduced as an ingredient in all sorts of different products. So right now, for example, uh, we're working on a new range of meat alternatives, ranging from ribs to rashes made using tempeh. So it takes on flavors really easily, but if, I, if you were to sort of cook plain tempeh by itself, deep fry it, I'd say it's got a really nice uh, <clears throat> nutty kind of flavor. Um, but again, works really well in stir fries or curries because the matrix that is formed by that fungal mycelium absorbs flavors super, super well. Wow, incredible. I didn't know any of that. So that's really useful to know about what tempeh actually is. Um, so your, um, if I've got this correctly, your mission is to um, produce this go-to plant-based protein product um, and with the aim of reducing meat consumption to basically solve climate change. So, um, and I'm interested to know, to what extent have you incorporated sustainability decisions or uh, the sustainability ethos into your business making decisions so by that I mean things such as your manufacturing process your how you distribute the product um, to even which partners or investors you've chosen yeah absolutely I mean it's absolutely key to stay true to your mission and your purpose so um, our purpose I guess simply put is, is exactly what you said but simply put, is to make protein without compromise. It's to make protein that doesn't compromise on people, the planet, and animals. And we feel that the best way for us to sort of realize that that purpose is to leverage our really deep understanding of tempeh fermentation to produce delicious, nutritious, and all-natural meat alternatives, as well as, you know, excitingly, uh, ingredients in the future. Uh, but yes, you know, when we make any decisions uh, from raising investment to working with different partners, we look at it through the lens of that purpose. And it makes decision-making actually so much easier uh, having such a strong purpose, such a strong mission. You know, if, if we, for example, if there's potential investment uh, by an investor who has loads of money, but has been involved in perhaps some really odd deals, maybe supporting um, animal cruelty in the past or whatever, then it's a very easy no. From our end, uh, likewise, if we you know we sort of take that lens to working with any of our partners, from retailers to uh, distributors, etc. So, um, yeah, by looking through that lens, you know, it has really led us to really think very carefully about the sustainability sustainability uh, side of, of the business, um, which you know is very very much core to the business, and has um, pushed us, for example, to find better and better ways of reducing and mitigating our environmental impact, which is quite difficult, you know, as you can imagine with these packaged goods. 
So we became the world's first meat-free brand to go plastic neutral, for example. And that was driven by the purpose. Um, and, and how that works is that for every gram of plastic that we introduce into the system, a, you know, the exact same weight of plastics taken out of the system by our charity partners based in Indonesia. Another thing that we've done is that our, all of our deliveries are carbon neutral. Um, and actually, sorry, no, carbon negative. So we offset uh, all of the carbon and we take out 10% more uh, through all of our deliveries, through all of um, whether that's deliveries to our retailers or deliveries to our customers via our website and, and via Amazon where we sell. Um, you know, it's still a work in progress. We've still got a lot to go. Uh, but yes, you know, staying true to our purpose makes it really, really easy to to you know to, to to find these solutions or to make decisions can i just ask a follow-up question so i think it sounds it sounds fantastic and great that you've been able to to do that it sounds expensive um how how have you managed to to incorporate that whilst still as a early stage startup being able to survive yeah, i mean you say that's expensive and to be honest yeah i, I thought it was expensive too uh, looking at it for the first time, but it's surprising how cheap it is. Honestly, um, I think there are a lot of really um, there are a lot of you know really mission driven startups and partners out there that are willing to sort of offer this as an added bonus, as an additional service to to what they currently offer uh, with without very much cost. So I think the question is why hasn't the industry sort of picked up more on it? And I I, I really don't know why, um, because it, from a from a cost perspective, it's actually quite low. Um, but that aside, even if it were a cost investment, it's I, I'd still say you know, if it were even if it were a substantial investment of, of of capital and money in order to run these things, I'd say it's still absolutely worthwhile because the returns that you get on that investment through um, you know, being able to brag about it, <laughs> for example, on this podcast, or uh, to be able to tell retailers about it, to be able to tell your customers about it, to gain brand loyalty, um, and all the marketing perks that come along with having uh, all these credentials is is incredibly valuable. And in, in this market, is which is, you know, quite frankly, quite competitive, um, we need to stay true to our values to be able to get cut through to the customers. So it is a price worth paying. And, you know, just talking about customers a bit more, obviously the success of, you know, Better Nature and, you know, the plant-based alternative meat industry as a whole is, you know, based on converting meat eaters and convincing them to cut down on their intake. Um, and how have you found this um, with Better Nature? And have you noticed, um, are, are there, you know, certain groups of people that are easier um, to convince? and would you say that your, you know, your all natural ethos, as well as, you know, this emphasis on sustainability has helped you in this regard? Yeah, I guess how we found it. So it is quite difficult. What we found is that it's quite difficult to educate people about tempeh. You know, it took me about two minutes to explain what it is, because it's not very straightforward. It's not something that people would come across um, in their day to day lives. So what we found and what, one of the things that we've learned in this journey is that, is that tempeh isn't the USP, right? Isn't the unique selling point. In fact, the unique selling point is the all natural aspect of our products. 
and and it is that is that mission is is the brand is what we stand for so what we found is and and, and this sort of relates to education consumers education is incredibly expensive you know it requires a lot of marketing spend but if you're able to but i guess it also comes with the advantage that if you're having to educate someone chances are that you're the category leader or you're trying to establish a new category, which is really, really exciting. What we found is that instead of focusing on tempeh, if we focus the message on trying to make protein without compromise, so all natural plant-based proteins that uh, are, are completely free of any artificial ingredients, yet still taste great, yet still can be used in all the ways that you normally use your meat, that message lands much more easily and people resonate with that message a lot better. And it's not just people, it's also investors and retailers. And so really doubling down on, I, I guess the takeaway here is what you think may be your USP may not actually be what consumers care about. You know, consumers don't care whether our products are made out of tempeh or not. Um, they care about the taste. They care about the nu- nu- nutritional credentials of the food. They care about where it comes from. So focusing on that instead of uh, the core ingredient, uh, perhaps uh, at least for us, we found has has allowed made it, made it much easier for us to get cut through. And we're currently in the process of developing a new range that addresses that head on. So I want to ask you a slightly controversial question, um, which is what is your opinion on hype? versus long-term impact for meat alternatives. So there's sort of plant-based products, lab-grown meat, etc. Um, and I think they've been widely talked about, but I'm interested to know, maybe from your opinion as an expert in the industry rather than as an ambassador necessarily for better nature, um, for what you, what you think about this. So hype versus, yeah, I guess a long-term change in consumer behavior I'd say it's absolutely the latter. Um, I mean, there has been a lot of hype, right? Don't get me wrong. There has been a lot of hype uh, around the plant-based space, uh, which is really, really exciting. And, you know, that has, that is a fire that has sort of spread to restaurants, to, to all sorts of different, you know, product categories outside of food. Now everything wants to be vegan, you know, from leather to, to cosmetics, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I firmly believe that this is not hype, though it may be in the very early days. Um, by early days, I mean maybe 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. I think this is a, this is a change that's here to stay because it's not backed up by, it's not backed up by some sort of fad. It's not, it's not like, um, I don't know, uh, what other fads have there been, especially in the, in the, in the food space. Like, you know, at, at some point, few years ago there was this huge fad about how eating eggs is amazing or drinking milk is amazing and and that was a fad in in the sense that it created a lot of hype people took that up you know um in in the short term but that kind of got lost you know nutritionists no longer support the, the the notion that eating loads of eggs is really good for you in fact like the cholesterol isn't so great for most people but I guess what differentiates the plot-based change or the alternative protein, um, alternative protein change uh, space is that it is undeniable that the environmental impact of the, the continued mass consumption of animal-based products is, is 
incredibly bad for the environment. And I think incredibly bad is uh, putting it lightly, right? It's it's the second greatest carbon emitter on the planet. Adopting a plant-based diet is the single greatest lifestyle change that one can make in reducing and mitigating their impact on the environment, right? And it's also undeniable, and this is backed up by loads of clinical studies, that the adoption of plant-based foods, and especially a whole foods plant-based diet, and what I mean by that is a more all-natural plant-based food diet, that is undeniable, the relationship between the adoption of that diet um, in, in terms of benefits to, to one's health, in terms of the you know reduction of the risk of uh, coronary heart disease or stroke and diabetes, um, the associated perhaps uh, weight loss as you know with the adoption of these diets for those who are interested in losing weight and controlling their weight better. So what I'm trying to say is that the reason why I'm so bullish in the fact that this is a long-term trend as opposed to a fad is that it is backed up by hard, hard facts. Um, and yeah, and, and these facts are supported by institutions, uh, I guess, be, uh, uh, other than just brands per se. So I'd say this trend is here to stay for a very long time. And it, it is, I'm, I'm entirely confident that one day, you know, looking at the consumption of meat will kind of be seen in the same way that smoking is today. And if you look at the history of smoking and the public perceptions towards smoking, I, I, I'm very, very confident that plant-based food diets or alternative protein diets will follow a very similar trajectory. And maybe just to get another opinion. So, I mean, for me, um, something that, you know, speaks to this not being a fad at all is how seriously, you know, the meat industry, for example, is taking um, plant-based, um, the plant-based industry. Um, because, you know, for example, recently we've had lobbying of the EU by farmers to prevent terms such as burger and milk being used to describe plant-based products. Um, so I'm just interested to get in, you know, your opinion on this um, from an industry point of view. You know, when you're marketing, you know, um, temper products, is there, you know, a significant difference um, in, you know, the names you use in using more traditional names such as burger to describe your products for consu- from the consumer's point of view, would you say? Yeah, no, it's um, it, it, exactly right. So that's kind of, in fact, the attention that these uh, meat uh, meat lobbies are paying to the plant-based space, as you said, is is a additional validation that this, this trend is here to stay and that they're awfully terrified. I mean, if you look at the US, the top two largest milk processors in the US have gone bust, right? And... Um, the milk, the alternative milk industry is just a few years ahead of the alternative protein, uh, the alternative meat industry in its, in, in its size, in its uh, penetration, right? Um, you know, I think it's like 70% or 80% of consumers that today uh, also regularly buy, or if they buy milk, also regularly buy plant-based milk. So yeah, this, this trend is here to stay, but I guess to answer your question directly, in terms of how we market our products, luckily for us, um, and through the, the great efforts of our own lobbies and, and, and consumer sort of pushback, um, meat fr- you know, meat-free brands are able to use the same terms like sausages, burgers, etc. As long as they're clear 
obviously, about the fact that their products are plant-based, right, in the, in, in the packaging. So um, for us, you know, our in, in order to fulfill our mission to make protein without compromise, we also don't want our customers to compromise on eating the foods that they love, right? I love a good burger, so but I don't I don't love killing an animal. I don't love eating an animal. So instead, I'll make myself a plant-based burger that fulfills the exact same functional need, uh, a function function as that meat burger in a patty. It tastes great, looks great, uh, has you know similar aroma, great texture, etc. Uh, but doesn't involve any animals. So that's what we're doing uh, with, and, and that is our plan to you know, to continue doing so in the future with ribs, rashes. Um, you know, perhaps even fish fingers one day. Fantastic. So I think I think we could talk on this topic all day, but just in the interest of time, uh, maybe just one final fun question to end on. Um, what is the most wacky version of tempeh that you have considered, um, but eventually decided was probably a bad idea? <laughs> um, gosh, I mean, I touched upon the crisps earlier on brilliant product i mean tastes great high in protein high in fiber etc but i think yeah we kind of lost the plot there in the sense that the world doesn't need another high protein crisp uh, and tempeh probably isn't the best ingredient as a crisp it, you know by, by converting it to a crisp we lose a lot of the attributes uh, that it has to be that, that it could that it could leverage to be a really great meat alternative um but what others? What other ideas have we had? Uh, tempeh bars. So going more along uh, that snack category. Uh, we've also experimented. I mean, we experiment with making tempeh out of everything. One thing we tried making tempeh out of was chia seeds. That didn't work too well. Um, but but I mean, but you, but you never know. I think some of these innovations may may one day see the light. <laughs> Is there any like call to action that you want to include? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know for those that are interested um, in, in joining us, uh, please do reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you'd love to learn more about you know, what we're up to, the business, our products, then please visit our website. It's uh, betternaturefoods.co or just simply search Better Nature in Google and you'll find us uh and, and yeah, uh, it, it'd be great to have your support. And um, I'd love to hear from you if you're interested. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. It's been a, it's been a great discussion. No, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> One thing I found really interesting um, from that was hearing exactly how Tempo is made. Um, because, you know, obviously I've had it before, um, but, you know, hearing the exact process as a foodie and a scientist, the beautiful combination of the two was amazing to me. Definitely. I think it's it's good to know what, what you're eating. And something that particularly stood out to me was the discussion of how exactly Better Nature came about. I know, I think a lot of students will really resonate with that, that they've been exploring various options and the story of how Chris went into Better Nature from Gap Summit and onwards and those steps were particularly interesting for me. So thanks very much again to Chris for joining us on Q Talks. This podcast was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. And we'd also like to say a big thank you to the team at QTech who have all been working hard behind the scenes. 
Thank you very much for listening. And please do go ahead and rate us or leave a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or a theme. Or tell us your experiences with applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io forward slash qtalks.